You're listening to devpath.fm, the podcast about career development for software engineers. Join the conversation at www.devpath.fm or on Twitter at devpathfm. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Jacob Harrington, and today I'm talking with Avdi Grimm, who is an author, uh, consultant, and a pretty well-known Ruby developer. Avdi, do you want to say hello and kind of give an idea of what your day job looks like? Sure. Um, so, hi, I am Avdi, and I um, I always struggle with explaining exactly what my day job is now because <laughs> it's um, it's a little bit it's a little bit off the track of I think you know where most senior developers go. Um, so I am basically I am a an educator and trainer of other developers. Um, I think that's the most succinct thing I can come up with. Uh, my primary day job is a is actually a screencast series that I created called Ruby Tapas, and uh, it's a it's a weekly a weekly series of screencasts on uh, topics of of use to working Ruby developers is, is basically how I define it. So it sort of spans from deep technical stuff to more like career oriented and, and team oriented stuff. And, uh, yeah, um, I basically run my mouth a lot for a living. I also spend a lot of time these days help trying to help other people, uh, trying to help other people teach, trying to, to identify people that have something useful uh, to show to other developers and then helping them express it. So which part of being an educator is most exciting or at least engaging for you? I mean, the classic, the classic, you know, joy moment for, for any educator, I think is like getting to work with someone and see the, the wow moment or the, you know, the, I get it moment. Getting to take somebody through that is is always really fun. You get to kind of re- relive uh, the joy of discovery yourself. Um, that said, a lot of what I do these days, you know, when I'm recording videos for a large audience, I'm not directly experiencing that moment. Uh, so one of the things that I really enjoy a lot these days is I've been doing for the past year or so, I've been doing mostly guests on my show instead of producing the content myself. And so something that I really, really enjoy is kind of having that first meeting with somebody who's going to be a guest. I call them guest chefs on the show because it's it's got a, the whole tapas metaphor going on. And uh, just sitting down with them virtually and going through the, the oh, I don't, going through the, the progression from, you know, I'm not sure if I really have anything to share with other developers uh, and having a conversation where that always, always winds up with, oh, yeah, this is a great, great idea. I can't wait to to sh- share this with other developers um, and kind of drawing that out of people is something that I really, really enjoy. So you get to do a little bit more uh, mentorship than just necessarily direct educating. Um, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if I'd call it mentorship. It's more like cultivating it's 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 more it's 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 like drawing people out Mm -hmm. convincing them that they have something to share i guess yeah and like and discovering what it is because everybody has something but um we don't always think about it was there a specific motivation for moving from writing code as your day job to teaching others or did it happen organically over time um i mean there was a motivation originally 
so I mean back back uh I'm trying to think when it would be maybe tenish years ago I kind of made a de- deliberate decision to try and raise my profile um because I I had a kind of an epiphany about like you know what my career track was going to look like if I just kind of kept my my hand to the plow um and uh and kept kind of working up the developer uh i don't know you know junior to senior developer hierarchy and eventually into management or something like that and for family reasons i wanted to i i i both wanted to increase my my earning potential faster than that and i also uh, i also had just a general epiphany about career security resting more in uh being known by a lot of people and being helpful to a lot of people than, than having anything to do with, um, any kind of like salary level or, or, uh, you know, markers like that. And so, yeah, I kind of deliberately decided to, to start raising my profile and that involved blogging and social media and, uh, giving talks was a really big part of it. Um, giving, giving conference talks was a a big, big part of it. And then conference talks kind of led into writing books and, uh, and podcasting and maybe the podcasting was the other way around, but anyway, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was deliberate. Is that something you struggled with or did you feel like you had a natural affinity for sharing with, um, I, I wouldn't say that I struggled with it massively. Um, I've always enjoyed writing. Uh, I certainly like the early blogging, you know, felt like the right thing to do. And, um, you know, I I mean, certainly like early speaking was super scary, but at the same time, like I did feel, I did feel like I had things to say. And so it wasn't like, it wasn't like a total experience of what am I even doing up here? Mm -hmm. Do you think some of that fear came from? this idea of imposter syndrome or was it literally just nerves imposter syndrome? That's an interesting one. Um, you know, I think it's, it's wonderful that this whole industry has become very, very familiar with the idea of imposter syndrome at the same time. I think that in recent years, it might've, it might, that term might be a little over applied now. Um, and we start, uh, you know, we've started, I think, applying it to kind of any instance of natural anxiety. Hmm. Um, and I think it's important to recognize the difference between true imposter syndrome and natural anxiety. Like, if you are an, a recognized ex- expert in a field and you can find, and you know, and, and people pay you to be a recognized, uh, recognized expert, or at least a recognized professional. And people say, you know, this is good work and your work is out there doing, you know, working in the world. And you still feel like I'm a fraud. Like they're going to discover me any minute. I'm a fraud. I think that's imposter syndrome. Um, And it's a, you know, it's a thing that happens to, to a lot of us. I have had moments of imposter syndrome, you know, thinking back, trying to sort of tease these two ideas apart. I have had moments of, of imposter syndrome where, where I felt like, you know, I am just making this up as I go along and they're going to find me out. 
And then I have to, you know, step back and look back at my career and look back at the code that, you know, that I've written that's still in production and is doing things that work and say, no, no, I am not a fraud. I wrote actual things that actually work. Um, so that's imposter, you know, that, but on the flip side, you know, when you talk about like going and doing your first talk, um, I think it's completely natural to be anxious when you go up on stage for the first time. I don't know if that qualifies as imposter syndrome. Um, you know, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you are a fraud until you're not like, you know, uh, so early in my career, earlier in this career of like trying to raise my profile, I had a, a very, very stressful week in which I, I lost my consulting gig. Um, and, and I had like, I had a growing family that was completely dependent on that, that monthly income. And so, uh, but luckily I was, I was in town with RailsConf at the time, like RailsConf had basically come to my town and I had managed to score a ticket to it. And I found out about this losing the, the job at the, on the very first day. And I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So um, I did something which, which may be actually be a little familiar to you. I was like, well, you know, I could, I could go around, you know, just trying to meet people and, you know, begging them if they have, if they have any consulting work, or I could pretend I'm an expert on something. And <laughs> so I, uh, I, I had had this, I, I think I had already had the idea of the podcast that I had wanted to create um, for a little while. Uh, it, it wasn't like a completely new idea, uh, but I hadn't like taken any action on it. It was, it was a podcast. It was like, I wanted to do a podcast about working remotely because I wanted to work remotely. And I figured the best way to, to actually get hired to work remotely is if everybody thought I, I knew what I was talking about, um, <laughs> you know, everybody thought I was, I was good at it. And, you know, along the way I could actually learn to be good at it. And, uh, and so I, uh, I, I did what is still, I think the, the long, I basically, I, 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 I yeah, I did what, what I still, I think the longest night of work in my life um, basically putting together all the groundwork for this podcast, uh, which included, uh, asking myself, what would Lady Gaga do? And, and answering that with gluing a bunch of phones to a, to a hard hat, um, <laughs> because I had a bunch of phones lying around and I needed something to, uh, to stand out. And then from there on out, I, I spent my time at RailsConf wandering the halls, interviewing people about remote work and in, in a, in a silly hat. And, uh, you know, at the end of that, I had, um, I had a recorder full of interviews to kick off my podcast and I also had a new consulting gig. And so like, I think that, you know, that's, that's a, uh, that, that was a, a long roundabout way of saying, you know, sometimes, sometimes you kind of are a fraud until you're not, you know, you just sign kind of decide I'm going to, uh, I'm going to set myself up as this thing and I'm going to become the thing by doing that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And there is a lot of value in also distinguishing between real anxiety and imposter syndrome as a separate issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I do think it's important to, to note here that like it's easy to talk. It's easier for some of us or easier for some of us to talk about fake it till you make it uh, than it is for others. Um, you know, I am there. There's a fair amount of privilege that goes into my being able to be like, you know what, I'm I'm I belong here. <laughs> um, and people, people accepting that, um, you know, it, there's, there's the fact that I'm, uh, you know, 
I'm a white male, able body, uh, you know, abled, uh, cisgendered. You know, I'm I'm everything that ever, this society expects in like a competent person because of societal you know biases, and mm-hmm. so like it is easier for me to to oh and you know I have this you know <laughs> I have this commanding voice which actually helps <laughs> a lot too when you're trying to get people to to believe that you know what you're talking about. Uh, so you know, it's, it's important to, to recognize and to acknowledge that, you know, there are some privileges that go into being able to be like, I am, you know, I'm all that and have people accept it. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no question about, um, people have, especially in this industry, a perception of what you should look like and be like, and if you fit it, it's a little easier. And yeah, I benefit from that as well. I'm, I'm a, young white male who likes star wars um, <laughs> right. i already fit in right and that's that's definitely a privilege you're right yeah yeah and like um like i don't think feel like i'm qualified to to say you know so here's how to compensate for that if if you don't fit that profile um but what i am qual- qualified to say is if you fit my profile you know if you fit our profile or, or something close to it um you know i think there's a responsibility there to look around uh, look around for the people that are trying to fit in and, uh, you know, are trying to, to be in the same, the same spaces that you are and are, you know, maybe hobbled by, by something that they have no control over, which is, you know, their background or, yeah. um, or any, any other factors that, that society currently biases against. Without question. Yeah. If you have a platform, I think it's, you're, you're kind of on the hook to help widen this industry because it makes the industry a lot better. Uh, yeah. in general to to make it more accessible. Yeah. I actually want to expand on that a little bit because um uh talking about making the industry better and I've had the great privilege over the last, you know, however many years to talk to a ton of developers who were coming into the industry from you know what I will call a non-traditional background. Typically that means they didn't study CS in school. Um, they were doing, you know, they were doing something else and then they sort of fell into, um, they fell into programming at some point and discovered that they loved it. And, you know, a lot of them were from backgrounds that like the traditional, the traditional programming job that I grew up with, you know, would have looked at their resume and been like, Oh, that does, that person doesn't, doesn't seem like they fit in around here. Um, and these, these people that are, that from all different kinds of backgrounds that I've, I've talked to are just like the best thing that is happening to our industry bar none. Like the, the, they are, I'm, I'm being like, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but it's just like seeing, seeing people that come from all these different, different, you know, other careers and other backgrounds, like the perspective that they bring to development and the new metaphors that they bring to development and the new energy that they bring to development. Um, it is a wonderful, wonderful time when we still don't have too terribly much in the way of gatekeep- gatekeepers in this industry. You know, we don't have too much in the way of, oh, you know, if you didn't come through the, the right channels, you're out. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, people coming from all different backgrounds and all different other careers into development have just br- brought so much r- richness to it. And it, it like it it reinvigorates me talking to to some of these people that you know that maybe came from from gosh you know maybe they were in accounting or maybe they were 
um, like, of course, all the examples that I've, I've talked to immediately fall out of my head as soon as I want to talk about, you know, maybe they were, they were in psychology, <laughs> maybe they have a philosophy background, maybe they have, um, a truck driving background, you know, um, maybe they have a farming background. Um, and gosh, like they just make people that have something other than computers in their background make for such, such good developers. <laughs> Almost always when you have an epiphany or a breakthrough as a developer, it's because of a, pers- a change in perspective. Yeah. Um, because you were looking at a problem the wrong way and then you realized, you know, oh, I should have been looking at it this way. And you can accelerate that by bringing in another person who already has a different perspective. Yeah. As kind of an educator, because you are a little bit different than the traditional developer, have you had an opportunity to bring in people that have a different background and share knowledge with them? Um, well, I mean, you know, it, these opportunities kind of come naturally. Um, and But uh, as far as like specific efforts to like broaden the field, broaden the, the diverse, diversity of the field. Um, you know, recently I did a thing where I, um, I gave away a bunch of Ruby Tapas accounts um, to uh, specifically to women um, because I really, really, you know, I want to see that, that gender imbalance start to get evened down. And I think one of the best ways to do that is just to make sure that they, that women who are trying to, to get started in the field have access to good education. Um, and, uh, that, that resulted, you know, once, once I realized, once that, that kind of took off and I realized that, um, you know, a, a lot of the people that were signing up for it were kind of on the, on the newbie end of the, the Ruby developer spec spectrum that resulted in me starting to create a course specifically for them, um, to like a course through the Ruby Tapas material. Cause the Ruby Tapas is like this gigantic mm-hmm. soup of over 500 episodes, um, and, uh, as you know, to, it prompted me to start creating a, a new course out of that, which is like the sort of Ruby 201, like, okay, you know, you know, the basics, but here's, here's, here's the stuff that you really need to understand to, to really succeed at, in the, at the language. Um, you know, and, and like that kind of thing, like everything feeds into everything that, that in, in turn is, is going to be like a really useful course in general, um, once it's complete. So, uh, I don't know. That's one example of something recent. Do you have advice for people who are uh, moving towards seniority for kind of being more inclusive or helping facilitate that widening of the industry? Um, my advice is don't ask me for advice. My advice is, <laughs> uh, you know, is, is look, uh, go find people, uh, who are in, in currently marginalized, uh, populations, um, and, and ask them what, what is the things what are the things that would have helped you? What are the things that, that help uh, people like you now? Um, or, you know, if they're, if they are trying, if they're people that are trying to get started, like what are the, ask them, what are the obstacles in your path? Yeah, that's really valid. So as someone who kind of, again, you, you've got this educator kind of role, you're, you're a, an expert on a series of talk, topics, or at least you're, you're represented as one. What do you think facilitated that growth from proficient to expert? And, is there a specific characteristic you can highlight that you think you had that helped you do that? Um, I mean, I'm really interested in things, you know, like a lot of, a lot of my early expertise for what, you know, in as much as it was came from like really like taking a programming language and then like digging a little bit, digging deeper into the, the nooks and crannies of it. Um, 
you know, for me, it's just, it's been a lot of just like being really interested in it. And also, you know, the other thing is making sure that you're talking to people, I mm-hmm. think, um, uh, understanding, understanding without actually talking to people is, uh, not tremendously useful and it does not help you, you know, it doesn't really help you to express your knowledge if you're not talking to people and talking to people ranges from like making sure you go to users, users groups and discuss things to making sure that you're pair programming on the job, uh, to making sure that you're maybe, you know, being involved in knowledge sharing sessions at work, uh, you know, like, uh, whether that's presentations over lunch or, or what have you, um, talking to people includes, um, you know, for a long time, I worked as a consulting pair programmer. Mm -hmm. Um, this isn't something, something that's for everyone, but it was a really interesting, uh, line of work where I basically took appointments with people and, uh, did, did pair programming sessions with them on whatever they were working on. And, um, I, you know, I, I learned a lot from that. Um, I learned a lot about communicating with people and I also learned a lot about what I knew because the thing is, if you don't work with other people, you will, you won't actually realize what you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you'll just like, there's a lot of implicit knowledge that comes out when you see that somebody is doing something in a, in a way that you know is inefficient and you know there's a better way. And you're like, oh, have you tried doing this? And they're like, no, I did not know you could do that. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know, I think the the one thing that, that my career has taught me, and I kind of wish that I'd come to this conclusion earlier, is that programming is actually a very social uh, uh, job. Yeah. And, um, the more you treat it as, as a social line of work, the more successful you'll be. Was kind of mentoring others, or you mentioned pair programming, just sharing knowledge. Is that something that you came to naturally, or do you kind of have an example of when you figured out how to do that? It's hard to think of a specific example. I've certainly spent a lot of time seeing people confused by what I was telling them. <laughs> um, and this is, this is one reason it's really good to do like pair programming, do stuff where you're doing your one-on-one and you can see the reaction of, of the person you're working with. Uh, because if you, you write a blog article and a bunch of people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You can, it's easy to just kind of write that off as well. Those are the people that don't understand anything. Um, and it's it's easy to to like not actually see the difference in perspective that they're coming from. That's that's making it impossible for them to understand how you're how you're explaining something. Um, yeah, I mean, just generally speaking, it's 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 been a lot of uh, working with people one on one and seeing where they get confused with the way that I'm saying something, and then say and then you know trying to step back and and think, okay, is there a way that I could rephrase this um, that that will make more sense to them. And part of that is like, okay, tell me what you're seeing. Tell me what you understand. Explain to me your, your current understanding of the system and of the problem so that I understand that your point of view. A lot of people, I think, gravitate to that role naturally, sharing their knowledge that they can't help but do it. Is that true for you? Or did you have to kind of step out of your comfort zone to start talking with coworkers or, or offering to pair program? I think I, I think I'm probably more on the came naturally end of the spectrum. Um, I remember going to like the, my very first users group, and before then I'd worked at a job where it was very much like 
Um, it was very much a day job for for everyone. It was a programming job, but it was very much a day job for everyone. You you weren't really expected to be excited about what you were doing. You were just kind of expected to you know keep your head down and crank out some code and then go home and go fishing or something. Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember going to my first users group uh, and talking to people about things and realizing, oh my gosh, I have things to say, and these people actually are interested in them. Mm. <laughs> And like from then on, it was kind of, I, I guess it was kind of like my road was set because it was, mm-hmm. you know, because I had that experience of, wow, I, I have things to say and they're actually useful to people. So like win-win. <laughs> I want to ask a question that I ask almost everyone I interview. It's really easy for someone listening to this or someone who's followed you for a while to think Avdi has this platform. He has achieved X, Y, Z. He's successful. Um, and you know, and to some degree, maybe there's truth to it. He has these privileges. So he's achieved this and it's not achievable for me because he's too, he's smarter than I am, or he's more gifted than I am, or he's luckier than I am. And so far with the people I've talked to, I think that hasn't been entirely true. Generally, those people are just as astonished that they've been successful as anyone else. Um, And to kind of validate that, would you mind sharing something that you consider yourself to be bad at? Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I'm bad at. <laughs> I mean, God, like I'm I honestly I'm in this this I'm in this place right at this particular moment of realizing really realizing how much I don't how much I'm not good at daily management. Cuz like I I manage a team now. It's I mean, none of them are full-timers. It's all like uh con- uh contractors, but but uh still like I I have a team to help with the Ruby Tapas stuff mainly. And, um, and it's just like the, the, all the education stuff I do, there's a lot of like daily management and going through email and stuff like that and making decisions because other people can't make those decisions and I'm terrible at it and I hate it. Um, and I'm figuring out what I'm going to do about that right now. Um, you know, so like, that's a thing that I'm realizing right now. It's like, you know what? Yeah, you can learn to do just about anything, but there are some things that you're not, never going to like be great at, or at least you're never going to love doing. And it's really hard to be great at something you don't love doing, you know? And for me, uh, part of that is just kind of the ongoing daily management of a company. Um, as far as something that I think I've sucked at uh, for most of my career, and I'm really trying to correct for it now, um, so please correct for this earlier, Um I have suffered from from wanting to be an authority from from a very early time. And I think that has actually it has actually hobbled my ability to to really learn as much as I could have. Um it's very tempting to it was very tempting to me as as a young programmer to kind of look at people like, you know, let's say Martin Fowler and, you know, who get to like at least appear to get to basically write about interesting programming ideas for a living um, and say, like, I want to be that per- kind of person. and I, I want to be them like right now. Uh, and which meant a lot of early on, it meant a lot of like having opinions about about code. You know, I felt like the thing that I need, the thing that's going to set me apart as, 
as somebody in a public space and, and who's talking about programming and who's an educator is going to be like having lots of opinions and knowing like the right way to do things. And I regret a lot of that. Um, I think it limited my ability to, to really learn as much as I could have. And, you know, these days I feel like every day I know a little less than I did the day before. Um, and if that continues, I'm fine with that. Hmm. That's a really interesting perspective. Um, I think our industry as a whole has a kind of a proclivity to reward people who hide their, or not just hide, but kind of try to mask their ignorance or try to be louder than their coworkers or their peers. And I think that's a really bad habit. I think it's a a pretty bad side effect of our industry that I personally try to avoid by being really comfortable with revealing my ignorance. And I think that's a practice that ultimately leads people to open themselves up to instruction. If I tell someone that I don't know what I'm doing, um, I'm going to have an opportunity to learn. If I don't tell them, it's less likely that I get that opportunity to learn. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's been sticking in my head lately is I, I had the the opportunity to see Kent Beck uh, give a keynote recently, and uh, you know Kent Beck, uh, if you don't know, is is widely seen as as one of the just like the uh, major ex- experts in the industry. Uh, he created test driven, at least or at least rediscovered the idea of test driven development, and um, and was the person behind extreme programming and a lot of a lot of practices that that everybody still uses. And he told the story in his keynote of going to Facebook, you know, going to work for Facebook, and seeing that like nobody was doing the doing software the right way, as he understood it. Um, and but they were still delivering software on like a massive massive scale, and you know, with some hiccups, but doing it better than you might expect on a massive, massive scale when doing it completely wrong. <laughs> and, um, and his reaction to that was to throw away everything he knew about doing software, right. And try to understand what was working there. Um, and that's, you know, to me, you know, coming from someone who, who was, you know, all through my formative years as a developer was like the paragon of like this person's opinions are right about software, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, this, you know, this, this is one of the people who, who really defines like the right way to do it. Um, hearing that from him, I think is, you know, really powerful. This idea that none of us, none of us actually knows the right way to do software. And there's a lot of value in stepping back and saying, okay, but what if everything that I thought was wrong? Or what if it doesn't apply in this context? What if the contexts have changed? What if there are other ways of, of achieving the same ends? And, you know, opening, opening your mind and, and just looking at, okay, what, what are people doing and why is it working? Um, it's a really powerful idea, I think. Well, I agree. That's uh, very profound, I think, for someone who is known as, you know, setting best practices and, and having a lot of strongly held opinions about how to do something to admit that maybe they were wrong is a pretty powerful experience, I think. Yeah. So Avdi, uh, as we're wrapping up, if someone wants to follow you and hear some of your strongly held opinions, where should they go? Uh, well, um, I definitely follow me on Twitter. I'm Avdi on Twitter, A-V-D-I. 
Um, you may not hear a lot of strongly held opinions there. You might just see a lot of pictures of flowers, but uh, it's still um, where I publish. You know, if I have something new, I, I definitely publish it to Twitter. Uh, you can also check out Ruby Tapas uh, if you are a Ruby, pro Ruby programmer and want to get better at it. Um, that's rubytapas.com. I have a course. Uh, I have a course that I did that is partly extracted from Ruby Tapas and partly new material, all about. Uh, <laughs> it's all about doing object-oriented programming well, which you know. Here we get into opinions again, <laughs> but uh, it's called mastering the object-oriented mindset in Ruby and Rails, and you can find that at avdi.codes/moom. M-O-O-M. Um, and generally, you can find some of my other stuff at avdi.codes. Well, Avdi, uh, I really appreciate you being open and vulnerable and honest. I think that's something that is immensely valuable coming from someone who does have experience providing leadership to an industry. Uh, so I can't thank you enough for that. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to devpath.fm. Want to ask a question? Send an email to jacob at devpath.fm.